0: That is great worship to prepare our hearts for, Psalm 2 today. Psalm 2 is entitled, The King is Coming. Why are the nations in an uproar and the people devising a vain thing? Kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against against His anointed, saying, let us tear their fetters apart and cast away their cords from us. He that sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. Then he will speak to him his anger and terrify them in his fury, saying, But as for me, I have installed my king upon my mountain, upon Zion, my holy mountain. I will surely tell the decree of the Lord. He said to me, You are my son, today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will surely give the nations as your inheritance, the very ends of the earth as your possession. You will break them with a rod of iron, you shall shatter them like earthenware. Now therefore, O kings, show discernment. Take warning, O judges of the earth. Worship the Lord with reverence and rejoice with trembling. Do homage to the Son that he not become angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath may soon be kindled. How blessed are all who take refuge in him. Father, I pray that you give us understanding of your word. As your children, we might heed the warning and rejoice as we look forward to your coming, but take serious those that are lost around us, sharing with them the gospel of Jesus Christ, their only hope. Thank you, Lord, that you give us these mountaintops to crawl up on, that we can keep our perspective. In Jesus' name, amen. In verses 1 through 3, we see earthly opposition to the rule and ruler of God. As so you look around, you wonder who's in charge? Who's running the show? Well, the Bible tells us that Satan is the prince and the power of the air. That when man chose sin, all of creation was put under the curse. And we've been dealing with it ever since. Now, Adam and Eve. God sacrificed some animals, and there was a payment made for their sin. Even then, a looking forward in Genesis 3.15, that one day there was coming a Savior. I think Eve thought she was going to bring that Savior forth. Maybe even the next, the first person that was born. But the first person born, Cain, turned out to be the murderer of his brother over this very issue. God gave them instruction. That when they came to worship, there was to be a blood sacrifice. And, but Cain was a keeper of the fields. He was a farmer, and Abel, his brother, kept flocks. And so when it came time to worship, Abel brought the flocks, and he brought his sacrifice, and it was accepted. But Cain said, no, I'll do it my way. God's going to have to take me where I'm at. That shows the rebellious heart of man even from the beginning. His father, Adam, was the first one created. Creation is fresh. All the stories directly from God, their fellowship with God, he could hear, but no. Rebellion knows no bounds. So God meets him with his false offering, and he warns him. He said, Cain, sin is crouching at the door, and it's going to devour you. But he went out and did his own thing. I believe Abel, his brother, came alongside to encourage him. Say, listen, God's instruction is clear. Just bring the blood offering. That caused such anger and fury with Cain that he rose up and he slew his brother. Slew his brother. Killed him. There are different governments. Why is the earth such an uproar? Because they refuse God's rule. There are different kinds of governments. There have been kings that rule by themselves. There are governments that rule with, like we have, a republic. And even this government that probably had the best shot of all besides Israel turned their back on God. God ruled Israel personally through the judges, with Moses and through the judges, He provided for them. He brought discipline, accountability. He gave them a land. He delivered them miraculously from Egypt. But there came a time when they said, no, we want a king like all the other nations have a king. Was it because all the other nations were so fruitful and so blessed with peace? No, that's just the rebellious heart of man. And through all the kings of Israel, there's not one king that served God with all of his heart. Now, we have David, and David's called a man after God's own heart, but you want him for a a ruler? He was a murderer. He was a philanderer. They all missed it. Do you know every one of the sons of Noah and their race has had opportunity to rule the world? Starting with Nimrod, son of Ham. Every single one has had the opportunity, and what do we have? Failure. There's only one that can rule the world world in righteousness, and that is Jesus Christ. With all the advancements, with all the technology that we have today, with all the education, that's what our government says, education is the answer. If we can just educate people, and yet they always turn to sin. The sad news that most of you probably heard this week was that Ireland is so proud they've finally joined the modern world and now they can abort their babies. Isn't that amazing? The desire to kill the unborn, the innocent. And that is the standard of you've made it. Why is the world in such an uproar? Because they're in a rebellion against God. The people are devising a vain thing. and the King James, says they're imagining a vain thing. The Beatles, back in the 70s, I believe it was, wrote a song called Imagine. Imagine there's no heaven. It's easy if you try. No hell below us, above us, only sky. Imagine all the people living for today. Imagine there's no countries. It isn't hard to do. Nothing to kill or die for. No religion, too. Imagine all the people living in peace. You may say I'm a dreamer, but I'm not the only one. I hope someday you'll join us and the world will be as one. See, that's what Nimrod started with. He said, if we could just have one religion, let's gather all the people. We all have the same language, gather all the people, and we're going to have our own tower to heaven. We're going to have our own way to heaven. We don't need God. The people imagine a vain thing. The people... They just want to be comfortable. Even most Christians in America, they really don't want revival. They just want their comfort to continue. We just have a government that gives us the freedom to make money and have a nice retirement, have nice church buildings. That's what we want. We just want to be comfortable. And so people just imagine how they think it can happen. And so you have different governments. The governments take their stands. And you have... Governments like North Korea that there's one guy and he passes it down and his rule is law and if you mess with him he kills you. Control. The communists have their kind of government. Then socialists they say, well if we can have a government that just can control everything then the people will have peace. We'll just take the rule. They don't have to worry anymore. We'll tell them what's good for them. We'll tell them what they can have, what they can't have. That see the problems in religion any religion anyway. And together what do they all say in the rebellion? Let us tear the fetters apart. What's the fetters? That's the law of God. Psalm 19 says, the law of God is perfect, converting the soul. What is the purpose of the law of God? To show man his lost condition. To show man that he needs a savior. The Beatles said, what we need is no government. But what happens to no government? Becomes the law of the warlords. Who's ever strong, takes everything he wants, and everybody else has to do what he says. We saw that in Afghanistan. There's no peace apart from God. But they say, no, let's, let's take all these things that God has said and tear them away from us. God has said, here's how governments should be. Here's how people should be. Here's how fathers should be. Here's how mothers should be. And we don't want that law. And cast away their cords from us. What are the cords? The Bible talks about God's cords of love that he draws people to himself. It's God's grace. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. The second verse says, it was grace that taught my heart to fear. And grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed. But the world says we don't need God. We don't need his law. We want to do what we want. God says this is moral, this is health. And the world says, no, 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 God messed up in creation. Here's what we decide. And we are a nation that if any nation had a chance, this nation was founded by our forefathers on the word of God. George Washington, our first president, in his first prayer called all the leaders to prayer in a little church that's still standing in New York City. And he dedicated the nation to God, but he also invoked the curses that if this nation turns its backs on God, that God would bring those curses down on our nation. You can read what's going on in Romans chapter 1, 19 and following. When a nation turns its back on God, God gives them over to reprobate thinking, to do those things that are inconvenient. And so we as believers say, we come with a warning. And if all the if all the the churches begin to lose that warning because they want to be accepted, then we've lost our purpose as churches. Imagine no God. See, that's what evolution says. There's no God. There's no accountability. Live like you want. Live like an animal. See, our, our nation was founded with the idea that man is sinful. That's why there has to be a balance of powers. It wasn't, it wasn't founded on the goodness of man and its innate goodness. It was founded that if you give somebody absolute power, they'll absolutely be corrupt. Why is there this deep-seated opposition to God? Why, is, why are we as we are? Why, what's wrong with us? We have education, we have technology, we have all this ability. What's wrong? It's the heart. It's the heart. Well, what's heaven's reaction, verses 4 through 6? I want you to know, God is not intimidated by man. He's not intimidated by the world. He's not intimidated by all the technology that man thinks he has or their attitudes. God didn't take a vote. He created the world and he rules. One day he's going to take the world back to himself. And what we live in now is called the age of grace. This is the opportunity that man has to live in this time where Christians are salt and light. But God's reaction is he's not intimidated. He who sits in the heavens laughs, the Lord scoffs at them. It's not that he thinks it's funny. But he can't take them serious, that they have this better idea how to run things. The world says the problem, our nation, our city, says the problem is Christians say there's right and wrong. And that just hurts people's feelings. Can you imagine going to a medical doctor for a checkup? And he finds something is wrong that he can deal with, but he doesn't want to make you feel bad with the surgery or the medicine. Because it's a little uncomfortable, so he just lets you die with your malady. No, we'd say he shouldn't be a doctor. Put him out of practice. We as Christians know the love of God. We know the law of God, that it's good, that it's perfect, and the purpose of the Word of God. And yet, in Christianity, we're sold the message don't tell anybody. Just keep it to yourself. In polite company, we shouldn't talk about religion or politics. Just keep it to yourself. Or maybe you've witnessed to a friend, they get very angry. Or I've even heard Christians, supposed Christians, tell me, I'm mad at God. Are you stupid? God rules in perfection. He is omniscient in all that he has. He is sovereign in his control of things. His rule is perfect. He's doing exactly what he intends to do. And you're mad at him? lady came to me a, a couple of months ago up here, and she was telling me all the problems she had, and she's mad at God. I said, you just understand your problem is sin. We don't have to deal with any of your counseling issues if you just start with that. Yes. Okay. Go tell God you agree with what your attitude is, is sin. And the Bible says if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God's not intimidated by man's anger. One day, there's going to be a great gathering of all the armies of the world that think they can destroy Jesus. And one word, they're going to turn to blood. God spoke the worlds into existence. One day, he's going to speak them out of existence. So how is he going to terrify them? Because he laughs. Then he will speak to them in his anger and terrify them in his fury. People don't like the idea of an angry God. But the Bible says he is angry with the wicked every day. The difference is his anger is just and it's holy. The Bible says he hates the plowing of the wicked. Why? Because the the wicked goes out and he plows and uses God's laws to feed himself and take care of himself and get rich. But he denies God and doesn't worship God and give God the worship that he so deserves. How was he going to terrify them? He said, but as for me, I have installed my king upon Zion, my holy mountain. He said, I'm bringing my king. The first time Jesus came, he came meek and humble, sitting upon the colt, the full of an ass, offering himself, offering himself to his people. He had taught them. He had demonstrated who he was by fulfilling all of the scriptures, by miracles, by power, by word, and by deed. And they rejected him. They rejected him. Daniel spoke of that day. He also spoke of a day that the king would return and all the things were going to take place. Here's the warning, world. Here's the warning, king, rulers of the world. Jesus is coming back and he's taking no prisoners. Now, Jesus speaks the third passage the return of the king. I will surely tell the decree of the Lord. He said to me, you are my son. Today, I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will surely give you the nations as your inheritance. The very ends of the earth as your possession. Now, we see that when Jesus comes back, if you look in Revelation chapter 5, there's this scene in the stadium of worship, the throne room of God, and the person that's with John, John's having the vision of things to come. And there's a voice that says, Who is worthy to open the seals and redeem the earth back to God? God created the, the world. But in sin, Adam chose sin, and so the world was plunged under the curse of sin. But this is the title deed of the earth. Just why, like when you go buy a house, and you go to the closing, you have all those papers you have to sign, Right? you're taking responsibility, you're saying you know this and you know that, and then you have a, a, a deed company, a, a title company that makes sure that there's no other liens on that property, that everything's been fulfilled, so when you get that loan or if you have the cash to buy a house, that that deed is yours. So there's things that have to be fulfilled. There's inspections, sometimes things have to be fixed so that when you get the house, it's exactly what was sold to you. Well, the world was stolen by sin. It belongs to God. But the king is coming. He's returning back and he's going to redeem it back to himself. And that redemption period is seven years of tribulation. It's the years that the nation of Israel, God's nation, stole from him. They didn't observe the Sabbath, they didn't observe the year of Jubilee, they didn't keep the law. And God says, I'm getting those years back. So there are 70 weeks of seven, Daniel talks about, and the last week to be fulfilled is this week of tribulation when God is going to win his nation back to himself and redeem the world back to himself. And during that time, some from every tribe, nation, and people group, every language, some are going to come to Christ. What a joy. The worst times the world will ever see will be also the greatest times of evangelism because God always gets the victory. In Psalm 24, the question is asked, who is the king of glory? He is the king of glory. Open the ancient doors that the king of glory may come in. Who's the king of glory? The Lord strong and mighty. The Lord that's never lost a battle. He is the king of glory. And he's going to begin, as he opens up those seals, to pour out his wrath on this world. Now, we're going to be gone. The Bible says there's going to be a catching away. And the church of Jesus Christ will not endure the wrath of the Lamb. We're going to be caught away. And then there are going to be 12,000 from each tribe of the 12 tribes of Israel. They're going to be saved, and they're going to go all over the world preaching the gospel. But in the meantime, while some are being saved from every nation... Jesus will be shattering every nation. No one will stand. No one will stand. The great worship in Revelation 5 is, the search is is being done and no one is found worthy to open the seals. And John begins to weep greatly. Why are the nations in an uproar? Would this never cease? Will it always be like this? And the one next to John says, stop weeping, John. The lion of the tribe of Judah, he is worthy. And then Jesus steps out. And what does John see? He sees, as it were, a lamb freshly slain. The marks of crucifixion will be on our savior for all eternity to remind us of the great cost of our salvation. He shed his only begotten blood. One of my favorite verses in all of scripture is Revelation 1.5. It says that he stooped down And he washed us from our sin in his own blood. Isn't that wonderful? Jesus died and the worth of his salvation was enough for all the sinners that have ever lived. But it's personal in that he only washes those that come to him by faith. So the king is installed and he will shatter the nations. He will shatter them with a rod of iron and he will shatter them like pottery. And then the last portion, verses 10 through 12, is the offer of reconciliation and refuge. Now, therefore, O king, show discernment. Take warning, O judges of the earth. Worship the Lord in reverence and rejoice with trembling. Show homage to the Son, lest he become angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath may soon be kindled. This is the invitation. I think the reason that the church has become so weak in the 21st century is because it reacts to people that bring this message, but this message is the message of the Bible. You might hear somebody say, go to this church, because, you know, they don't have a, a message of hellfire and damnation. Do you understand the Bible was set in the context of hellfire and damnation? John said, John the Baptist, when some of the Pharisees and Sadducees mixed in to kind of become a part of the religious movement, they got in line to be baptized. What did John say? Who, flee, who warned you snakes to flee from the wrath to come? Jesus preached the truth in love, but he, tre- he preached all of the truth. He told Pharisees and Sadducees, he called them white sepulchers because they got all white on the outside. Why were they painted white on the outside? You know what that was from? That you could warn if, if there were graves someplace, you might not expect a grave. They would paint the headstones white so that you'd know not to touch that and become unclean. Oh, they look all white on the outside, but inside they're full of all manner of corruption and dead men's bones. God's warning and God's invitation are complementary. In Revelation 19, 11 through 16 the king finally appears in heaven after all of the wrath that's poured out on the earth and everybody's run for cover. In Revelation 6, all the kings of the earth and all the great men and all the people, all the world leaders are running for cover and they cry for the rocks, fall fall on us and hide us from him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb. They know who he is. And yet they won't repent because they're rebellious rebellion in their heart. And now Jesus finally appears at his second coming. John said, I saw heaven open and behold a white horse and he who sat on it is called faithful and true and in righteousness he judges and wages war. His eyes are a flame of fire and on his head are many diadems and he has a name written on him which no one knows except himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood and his name is called the word of God. And the armies which are in heaven clothed in fine linen, white and clean, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword, so that with it he may strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. And he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. In verses 17 and 18, I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried out with a loud voice, saying to all the birds what should fly in midheaven. Come assemble for the great supper of God so that you may eat the flesh of kings and the flesh of commanders and the flesh of mighty men and the flesh of horses and those who sit on them and the flesh of all men, both free and slaves, small and great. The reason for ineffective evangelism today is because we are offended by the whole message of God. Listen, wrath is coming. Wrath is coming. For me, it's overwhelming I don't know about you to think about the loss, suffering, eternity, and hell. But don't get so overwhelmed with it that you're frozen. Those people that you know around you, they're lost. They're headed there too. Now, you can't save them, but you can give them the gospel, the only thing that ever will. And the Bible says, Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God and the salvation. To everyone who believes, it's not about religion it's about a personal relationship with this king that's coming back. He's returning. The only place to flee from his justifiable wrath is to find refuge in his amazing mercy. The Bible says flee from the wrath to come. If you hear this morning and you have religion or you say, like a lot of folks in Wyoming, well, I have this deal with God. And he doesn't bother me too much, and, and I just show up, you know, wedding's, funeral, Easter once in a while. And, but we have an understanding. I want you to know something. God does not know about that understanding. Does he know you? Yeah, he knows who you are. But if your name's not written down the Lamb's book of life, if you've not made peace with the Lamb, there is no peace for you. The Old Testament prophet said, There is no peace, saith my God, to the wicked. No, what's the difference? Because we're all sinners. The difference is those that have humbled themselves. This is a real invitation. It goes hand in hand with the warning. The only place to find refuge from the coming king is to find refuge in the coming king. And the last word says, how blessed are all who find refuge in him. Paul in his great doctrine of salvation the book of romans said whosoever will call upon the name of the lord shall be saved romans 10 9 and 10 verse 80 said the words nigh you it's in your heart in your mouth this word of salvation that we preached that if you believe in your heart that god raised jesus from the dead you'll be saved With the mouth, with the heart, man believes, resulting in righteousness. With the mouth, confession is made, resulting in salvation. There has to be peace made, and it's personal. Your your parents can't do for you. Your church can't do it for you. But that's a time. It doesn't have to be in church. Anywhere where you come to humble before God and say, God, I know I'm a sinner. And I believe that Jesus the King died for me on the cross and rose again. And I submit. your rule. That's why it says kings. Anybody listening today? When America goes through any kind of trial whether it's the towers being hit or some massacre in a school, what do we do? Moment of silence. Oh, that sounds real good, but no submission. We pray we're in trouble, but who are we praying for? The sad part is even most Americans don't want a revival. They just want comfort. The truth is People are dying without Christ, and the only place of refuge is in him. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man comes to the Father but my me. And so when we are speaking the truth in love, that's what we're speaking. Flee from the wrath to come. The king is coming back. You don't know if you have tomorrow. Tomorrow. James chapter 5, James wrote, and he said, go to you that say we're going to go here and go there and buy and sell and get gain when you don't know what's coming tomorrow. For what is your life for a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away? And when you close your eyes in death, where are you going to wake up? For the child of God, we have that sure, blessed hope to be absent of the bodies to be present with the Lord, But Paul wrote in the same passage, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. We are ambassadors of the king while we have opportunity. Father, we thank you for your word. How clear it is, how how instructive that we have this, this opportunity as your children, as your ambassadors to warn of the wrath to come. And Lord, I pray if there are any here this morning that are not sure of their salvation, not sure if their name's written down, that today would be the day that you draw them to yourself, they submit to you, and they get eternal life to serve the King for all the rest of eternity and will give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing together.